0: Most people that know me would be surprised to find out that for a brief period in high school, I wanted to basically be an Ed Sheeran character. I wanted to perform live and record a bunch of live loops of all my own instruments so that I could be a one-man band, and I wanted to specifically become famous for writing songs about time management. Everyone's special and no one is, a podcast about obscure, misunderstood, and or controversial topics relating to music. My name is Martin Chiselle, and this episode I am doing just by myself. There's no guest this time because what I wanted to do was basically just continue the story that I started telling with Bobby about how we were in a rock band, how we wanted to become famous, and after that sort of ended as far as I was concerned. When I split from the band, I wanted to be a solo performer, and I had all of these somewhat different but still related ideas of what I wanted my success to look like. And I just would like to basically, moving forward with this podcast, tell some of those stories of what happened to me in my life afterwards. Um, So maybe like one personal episode and then one episode with a guest, and so on. We'll we'll see how it goes. But before I get into the story, I just want to mention that as of when this episode is coming out, which is Saturday, February 6th, I just released a song yesterday with my fellow Belmont student, Abby Love. It is called No Man's Land. It is very ethereal. It's dramatic. We had a really great time working on it together, both writing it and then recording. And Producing, which was basically me working on it and sending her drafts and getting feedback and stuff. So I'll put a link in the description of the podcast to the songs that you can check it out if you would like. I would very much appreciate that. Anyway, getting into the story. So let me just set the scene. This is starting in the summer before high school because I quit the rock band in June of like the summer between middle school and high school. And at that point in my life, I was really, really getting into philosophy, but not just philosophy in general, specifically the philosophy of Ayn Rand. I had already read Anthem and the beginning of We the Living, and specifically during the summer between middle school and high school, I was reading Atlas Shrugged almost every day. I was spending like two hours with that book. It's a very long book. It's over one thousand one (laughs) hundred pages, and I loved it. I some parts were a little bit boring, but for the most part, I enjoyed it very very much. It taught me that. I was special, that I knew better how to live my life than anyone else, and that I don't need to be part of any collective or group in order to find fulfillment. And those ideas were already why I had decided to quit the band, but more so, it sort of fueled... What I would do next with music. So at that point, I was taking piano lessons, vocal lessons, and saxophone lessons every single week. I was not feeling satisfied with my work on all of those lessons. To be honest, it was kind of, it felt like it was stretching me out because it's like one week I would put more time into my homework for my piano lessons, and then another week I would spend a lot of time practicing saxophone. But it always felt like I was never really performing 100% at either piano, voice, or saxophone. Um, It was very, I will say, liberating to just know that all of the work that I was doing on those instruments was just for me. It was no longer, I'm doing this because Bobby wants me to do it, or because we're trying to learn the song for the band. Like, it was just my initiative. And that was very, very empowering, at least at the beginning. So I basically, I had this pedal called the Boss Roland RC3, and that was what we had been using in the band to play our backing tracks, because one of the functions of the pedal, basically you just hook it up into an amp and then it plays sound. One of the functions is that it stores audio. So we would go to karaokeversion.com and download all our backing tracks, and then The pedal would play the drums and any other supporting instruments that me and Bobby couldn't provide. So when Grant joined the band and Grant played drums, that became less important and we kind of phased out using backing tracks out of the band. But I still had that pedal and I experimented with what's actually the main function of the pedal, which is looping. So rather than explain to you what live looping is, I think it would be more fun if I let myself from 2015 as a sophomore in high school explain to you what live looping is actually in a performance setting. Um, for my next song that I'm going to play, just before I get to that, I'm going to briefly explain how I'm doing this. So I didn't like come with any piano tracks that I was using to play that song with. When I was playing the piano in the beginning, I was actually recording that And then I played it back in order to play the saxophone melody over that. Um, So how I'm doing that is with my loop pedal. And basically I press a button and then play something, and it'll record what I play and play it back, kind of like this. So it'll keep playing this recording back over and over again on a loop. I can record something else on top of it. I can make as many more recordings as I want So basically, what looping allowed me to do was be entirely self sufficient for anything that I would possibly need to play in a performance which meant that I could be the only one on stage and I could create all of the drums and percussion and chordal accompaniments myself. I didn't want to just be a solo artist in the sense that Taylor Swift or Beyonce or whoever is a solo performance, but they still have a band behind them. I wanted to be the only one on stage. I did not want to have to deal with the communist collective of being part of a group at all. And live looping gave me the opportunity to do that. And, of course, the musician who is perhaps the most popular for doing this live looping technique is Ed Sheeran. And I started listening to a lot of Ed Sheeran's music, and I really, really liked it, and I really, really liked his style of performance. And that is ultimately what I aspired to do. But I'm going to get more into the specifics of my aspirations at this point later. But basically... I think that throughout the first two years of high school, I probably did about one solo performance per four months. And it would be like, I would create all of these cover versions. I was mostly doing covers at the time, not originals. And I would spend all this time like scoring it out, literally writing the notes out on the page for what I was going to play on saxophone. And putting together, okay, I'm going to tap this button here and then I'm going to tap this button there and that's going to start, start this loop and then stop that loop. And I had to figure out how to basically transition from song sections, especially in songs that have different chord progressions. You can't just have the same thing looping the whole time if the chords are changing. So I needed to figure out how to get around that hurdle. And I ended up getting two more looping pedals. I got the RC-300 and the RC-1 both, which allowed me to do a lot more in terms of creativity with the whole process. And I was, in general, um, really nervous about these performances, nervous in a way that was very different than when I was playing in the band with Bobby, because if I messed up, like, in the band, I could have, like, fudged a few notes on bass and maybe no one would have noticed, but... When you are creating, first of all, when you're the only one on stage, but adding in the looping element to that, if you play a single wrong note in that very first loop that you make, then it's going to repeat over and over and over again throughout the entire rest of the song Unless you go back and once you notice that you make a mistake, you can delete that loop and then you can do it over again. But that's embarrassing. You don't want to have to start over from the beginning. And it's just a whole lot more stressful to pull off compared to being in the band where it was just kind of having a fun time with friends When I was doing these solo looping performances, it was just like, this is the most important thing, and I need to do everything 100% right, and I'm going to hate myself if I screw up and have to start over, because that would be tragic. So I just took myself very, very, very seriously. Um, I definitely had an inflated idea of (laughs) self-importance and... That was, I really attribute that a lot to Ayn Rand because it was reading those books that basically taught me that I was above everyone else. And I think that's evident in some of my journal entries, which I'm going to be getting to later in this podcast. So basically, at the very beginning of high school, when I was a freshman, I tried out for the school jazz band. I I did get into the lowest level jazz band. (laughs) My audition did not go as well as I hoped, but I very quickly decided that it was not for me, that my solo performances were so much more important than the jazz band. But Jazz band was not the only thing that I decided that I was going to quit doing because it was a waste of my time. and There were several other things throughout the course of my high school career that I just decided were not all that important for me. For instance... I joined the debate club at the very beginning of high school but then quit it after one semester because even though I enjoyed it, it didn't align with what I wanted to be doing. I even quit piano lessons when I was at the end of ninth grade because I thought that even though like, obviously I wanted to be playing piano, I decided that I was too good for it and my teacher... Did not respect that I wanted to be doing all of these live looping things, and he wanted me to focus more on playing jazz and stuff, and I was just like, nope, sorry, I'm done with lessons now. I quit my vocal lessons when I just thought that my teacher didn't really know what he was talking about in terms of singing instruction. And the thing that I stayed in the longest was saxophone lessons. But even that, I decided, was not worth my time. I decided to quit playing saxophone when I was in the very beginning of my uh, junior year of high school. Basically, I thought that I needed to be control of everything in my life. And having a music lessons teacher trying to coach me and give me advice about what I should be doing, that just did not fit into my worldview at all, I could not tolerate it so to touch on how my aspirations changed throughout this whole process, when I was in the rock band with Bobby, I wanted our group I wanted the band to basically become famous and to sign a record deal and record and release a bunch of albums and to go on tour and achieve national no international recognition for what we were doing and When I then quit the band, I still wanted to basically become rich and famous, but I wanted to do it as a solo performer. So the delusional ideas of fame and fortune still existed, but just with a different source, if that makes sense. And I, for a while after quitting the band, I didn't exactly have a clear idea of what I wanted that to look like. I still knew that I wanted to do music and I wanted to perform but I didn't know exactly what instruments or exactly how I wanted it to line up. Um, For a while, I thought I was going to integrate music with YouTube. I wanted to be a YouTuber, and I wanted to make videos that went viral. I spent about 100 hours making a three-minute saxophone cover of the jazz song Lily Was Here by Candy Dolfer and Dave Stewart. It had its whole plot, and I filmed a bunch of broken glass, like I had to break the glass first, and then I filmed these dramatic shots, and it was trying to be this huge artistic thing, but it really was just awkward, and I can't believe I spent so much time on that one silly little video. Ugh. But one thing that I actually foreshadowed in the very first episode of this podcast was that there was a time when I was, I believe this was, I was still a freshman in high school, and I was working on putting together a music video for this contest. Basically, I found out through, when I was still taking saxophone lessons, I found out through the music lessons company uh, that there was this contest for a play-along book. Basically, you would buy a Hal Leonard play-along book, which had all these pop songs arranged for, like, band instruments, and they had these little karaoke tracks that you could play along to them too. And basically, you would record a video of yourself playing a song that you liked, and then post the video online and enter it into this contest, and then people would vote on who would win. So I decided that rather than just playing what was written on the page, I was going to incorporate my entire looping arrangement of it and I wrote it all out in Sibelius with all the notes and the chords and I spent all this time making sure that the arrangement was perfect that I knew how to play it with my loop pedals and how to press which buttons at which points in time and I set up the music video I used not one But two camera angles, which I was really proud of. And then I also filmed several pickup shots of like, oh, here's the fireplace. And oh, here is the clock in the background, which were very random and not needed at all. (laughs) But this music video took so long to put together. And I was on such a time crunch for having it out in time for the contest that I actually decided that I wanted to stay home. So, my dad had invited me and my two brothers to go on a tropical vacation to Cozumel, Mexico and go scuba diving and have this wonderful vacation. And obviously, he was going to pay for it because he was my dad and I was a high school student. But I turned him down. I was like, you know, Actually, even though I already said I was going to go with you to Cozumel, Mexico, I don't want to do that anymore because I'm working on this contest and that is more important to me. And I have really mixed feelings about this now because I totally see... Where my ninth grade self was coming from, it's like, my music is the most important thing. I'm trying to do this. I want it to be a thing that I can create a professional career around. And so why would I just go on this vacation that has nothing to do with being productive at all to miss out on this opportunity to to win this contest and make a big influential mark with my music? Why would I turn that down? So I see where that version of me is coming from. But I can't imagine now turning down, spending time with my family in a tropical paradise (laughs) when I could have just, you know, put the video together more quickly. It maybe stayed up later in order to have a little bit more time to finish it and then go on the vacation. And yeah, so basically... I got second place in the contest, which I was very, very proud of. And I got like a little gift card for the music lessons store, but it didn't really go viral or anything like that. It didn't really affect my career in any way, except for that I was really proud and satisfied with the work that I had done on that music video. And I don't want to discount that, but I just have really, really mixed feelings about it looking back on it. So I eventually decided that I wanted to spend more time on the music itself and the whole video production and editing stuff. That was kind of fun for me, but it wasn't really where my heart was at with it. So I cut out being a YouTuber from my aspirations and decided that I just wanted to be a a looping performer. And around that time, I was really getting into time management books So I read the book Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy, who is a supposedly world-renowned time management guru. And I basically started treating my time as every single minute of my day counts. I need to make a plan for what I'm going to do every single day and larger plans for what I'm going to do every week, every month, every year, and even long-term plans. And I got really, really obsessed about measuring how much time it took me to do certain things in order to make predictions moving forward about how much time things would take me. And eventually I started writing songs about time management. I kid you not, the very first song that I wrote it was called wishing the day was longer and it is about being frustrated about oh i just there's so much i'm trying to do in one day i just wish the day was longer And it was giving advice to people to take control of their time by employing time management techniques. You know, a lot of people, a lot of musicians, they're like, oh, yeah, I wrote my first song when I was 10 years old about like a crush that I had. But no, my first song that I wrote was when I was 15 or 16 years old. And it was about telling people that they were bad at managing their time and giving them advice on how to do it better. And that kind of underscores what I where, where I went with that because even though I really was not taking songwriting as a craft seriously at the time, I started to think more about how cool it would be to write a bunch of songs, inspirational, a lot about time management, but just other inspirational topics as well, and to release a whole album of music with that kind of theme to it. So one of the time management techniques that I learned was visualization. If you, in the process of writing down your goals, also visualize what it will be like for you to complete that goal. Meaning that you create a picture in your head of, oh, this is what I'm going to be wearing when I do this. This is what it's going to look like. Just getting yourself into the picture of all of the specifics of what it looks like to accomplish your goals. To do that helps give you further motivation to really achieve those goals and helps manifest them in your life. So what I decided to do was to, in my journal... Type up a whole visualization of what my ultimate idea of success would be. And I would like to share some of that with you. So this is from my journal dated September 15th, 2015. I'm going to read you an abridged version of this because the full version is too long. Anyway, here goes. I'm different. I play original pop songs with a guitar, which enables me to create the entire instrumental background in front of them. A lot of people used to traditional setups don't enjoy my music for that reason, and I have been turned down booking in some of the most notorious music venues for that reason. However, people that are not so rooted in the tradition of the past are open and accepting of my different form of music. I sing music that gets the audience captivated and involved. I offer catchy melodies that they can sing along to, lyrics that they can relate to, and lyrics that make them think deeply about their life. I talk in between my songs, too, explaining how I developed the ideas and sometimes even asking the audience members if they want to volunteer a story from their own lives that relates to what I'm singing about. For instance, I might ask them if anyone wants to share a story where someone discouraged them from chasing a dream. If I am singing about time management, I might ask the audience for a quick show of hands for anyone who feels truly satisfied with what they are able to accomplish with the time that they have. Quite a few people actually enjoy it. They would fall into what I would call my target market, people who enjoy pop music and are open to life advice and fall closer on the rational end of the epistemological spectrum. These are the people who may not declare their core values directly, and therefore may allow some altruism and mysticism into their thoughts, but fundamentally agree with rational selfishness. Just a side note real quick here. Rational selfishness is basically the core philosophy that Ayn Rand teaches. You need to take care of yourself first and foremost, and any other consideration, anything that, oh, I'm just doing this for someone else, is basically not valid. And I agree with some of that, but not all of that right now. I still have mixed feelings. Um, That's not the point of this podcast, but I just wanted to clarify on the rational selfishness point. Anyway, I go on to write... These are the people who will be fundamentally open to my advice, whereas the people who fall closer to the other end of the epistemological spectrum will just close their ears to my music. The best illustration of this is from my own life. It took reading the works of Ayn Rand to develop my fundamental value into a full system of thought and help me streamline my life and make thoughtful decisions about my values and priorities. She helped me realize that There were so many things polluting my life that I could cut away from it. I have now channeled some of her fundamental ideas, giving her credit, of course, into my own music. I have helped others see life a little more like I see it. I have changed their lives for the better. And even more than the lyrics, it comes down to the stories from my own life about my songs that I tell the audience on stage and how I have them participate So again, just to reiterate, this whole visualization was not anything that was actually happening. This was what I thought I wanted to do eventually. I was writing it from the present tense because that was what I had been given advice to do in terms of visualization. You got to write it as if it's actively happening in order to put yourself in the shoes and feel what it will feel like to eventually achieve your goal. But I just cannot believe that I basically wanted to write songs telling people how they should manage their time and think that they would be open to just blatantly (laughs) being told unsolicited advice and then sharing their stories about how their lives improved when they started to manage their time better like i had no idea I had no conception of what it means to actually create music that people enjoy and want to listen to. I had this deranged, delusional idea in my head that since I was so passionate about time management, that other people would obviously be so passionate about that as well and want to hear songs with lyrics written about very specific time management strategies. Like, And, And to think that I considered them to be pop songs. I wanted them to have catchy melodies. I wanted them to be accessible. And it's just like, that is not compatible with pop at all. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) I just shared that because I wanted to give you guys a more clear idea of just how far removed from reality I was. Like, I was delusional in the rock band with Bobby, but I was... 10 times more delusional when I was on my own and free to let my own thoughts just go wherever. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) from the time of writing that journal entry to then deciding that actually I don't really want to do any of that. That was only about three months. And I'm going to get into what happened after that in a future episode But before I can get into how my interests and my aspirations changed since then, I need to talk about how one of the things that I quit, in addition to literally all of my music lessons, I decided to drop out of high school. And that was a very, 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 very emotional thing. And it created a lot of tension between me and my mom. And that is going to be the next episode in this series about stories about my life. And the next episode will be another episode with another guest. But then after that, I will have my mom on to continue this story. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I'm sorry it was really emotional and rambly, but I just have so many mixed feelings about this, and I really hold a lot of resentment towards this person who I used to be, and maybe I should go to therapy about it. I don't know. But anyway, what do I see? I see my DBL speaker that my mother so graciously purchased for me so that I could listen to music on the trampoline while I was babysitting my niece and nephews. Anyway, until next time.